Hi, and welcome to the Lehman Krellin Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Baker. In this podcast, we focus mainly on regulatory compliance issues coming out of the UK, but there is a global component to the content we present. We hope you get value out of this one. Thanks again for listening. This is the fourth installment of our podcasts on data and financial services. Today, we're going to discuss management information and reporting. So, Kath, over to you to kick us off. So management information reporting, discussing KPI or metrics crucial for reporting and what's the steps involved in creating informative and actionable reports for decision makers. So on management information reporting, from from some of the conversations I've had with people have been around reporting on cash, client asset protection. MI comes up a lot there. What's good MI? as it pertains to the cash rules. And, and actually, the answer to that, I think, sits as an answer to any MI. And I always think back to my days at the regulator when TCF was in an area of focus and the, the horror around the department I was working in at the time when word spread that there was one firm whose MI report to the board of a really big institution ran to well over, it was over 200 pages, and I think it was more, more like 300 pages. And at that point, every, and, and it was something that they'd been sold by some consul- big consultancy or other, and everybody at that point said, if that's what TCF is looking like, and that's what MI is looking like, it's utterly failed. It's just... This is not the point. This is not MI. If you've got a big static MI pack, you can be absolutely certain that most boards will not be looking at it. And most boards will not be, they were it won't even drive anything. It would, it would just sit in a heap in the corner. Because you have to remember a board is a very, very expensive meeting. People are being paid good money to sit around a table and and make decisions and for a board to be effective it's got to do that quickly get to the point get to the number of the issue and move on and if your MI pack is big and static they'll have seen it before and it won't be very interesting to them they want to deal with big strategic issues so for MI to be effective it's got to be timely relevant and accurate as we always hear from the FCA but also it's got to be very clear what decision or action are you asking of your board or your management committee to take based on this information? And if that's not clear, then you're wasting everybody's time. And MI packs are incredibly expensive to put together because you have armies of people capturing data and putting it into a prescribed format and setting it up. And that's expensive. So I think for any MI and any KPI, You've got to say it's got to be, it's got to drive a decision. Uh, And maybe that decision is we're we're good and we're happy right now, but maybe it's not. I don't know, maybe, Rupi, you've seen something different in terms of some of the MI packs you've been looking at. No, I I would ditto uh, um, that. I I feel like it's an area that, that, that clients need to focus on. We're still very traditional. So one of the, you know, this is, sort of a very interesting take that we're what we're doing with a client is going to power bi reporting so real-time reporting power bi obviously is the microsoft set of tools um and the beauty of it is it's user friendly but i think the key message there that we're giving to the client is then 
how necessary the importance of real time reporting is. I personally think gone are the days that you've just described of month end MI packs that go to a committee, which is all sort of already, you know, 10 business working days outdated. Rear view mirror is the expression that I use. Where where the where the you know where the financial services needs to move to is what happened yesterday? What happened this morning? What should I be changing? You know, in the financial crime and the fraud detection space, looking at something sort of, you know, 45 days from when it occurred, it's too late. There's it's you're not using it to inform your decision making, you know, which is which is one of the, the key asks here from the regulator. So what I and, and you know, this is very new, I I do feel. There's lots of products out there, Power BI, the Microsoft version, Tableau, et cetera, et cetera. But real-time reporting is, is what we need to be focusing on. It's where we need to be moving to. In, in the very blunt sort of banking example, which one, how, how much money was taken out of the ATM machines across the country? What am I seeing target being targeted? Are there organized criminal gangs doing new MO in terms of fraudulent activity, et cetera? And, and that is you know, very exciting. But to be fair, of all of the clients I'm working with, only one who's progressing that at the moment. So how does that work for the cycle of committee meetings? Because we're very used to um, board meetings always driven by the finances. Finances come through month end and then boards meet sort of around the time the management accounts are prepared. And and that's largely why our, our governance cycles are as they are. So how, how does that change and how do they meet? Do they maybe they don't meet? No, so we still they they are still meeting and it's the I think that shift is slow, let's be honest. Okay. So the monthly meetings are still very much we're trying to become paperless, for example. This client's trying to become paperless. So that's the first step. It's it's almost moving to when you're at that meeting, here are the real real-time figures for this month um, as at this date we are but they are still bound to to your to your point you know at the end of the day it's a PL that we're concerned about right and so we need to know what happened last month I think what this firm is trying to do is move to a daily dashboard so the execs can see what they need to see daily and then the individuals who are running those specific teams finance for example less so in the compliance space but more more on the operational space. What's happening? Where are the where are where are my customers calling in? I mean, if I was if I was running a bank, why would I not want to know that? Are customers using my app to chat with me? Are the customers calling into my telephone center? Why would I want to wait months end to learn that you know my average three minutes of answering a call was exceeded? It was outside of SLA. Why would I not want to know that today of what happened yesterday so I can take action? So I think it's fundamentally it's a big shift in mindset and you're right we're still being run by the PL, and it's important that we have these these month packs so we can see the numbers but what i'm talking about is actually there's there's real there's real activity going on out there you know i've, I've sort of veered away from fin crime and fraud for once and just talked about that customer service point which touches upon your expertise zoe and and, and yours catherine which is you know, why would I not want to know something that's that's falling over? Operations teams not answering the phones, not addressing queries that are coming through on my chatbot, et cetera, et cetera. Month's end is too late. It's too slow. And I think it's those, that's where the digital banks are really sort of grabbing that and running with that because they're almost set up, they're almost established to look at this on a daily basis and hourly basis. Trying to implement hourly reporting in a more standard institution is where the difficulty arises. 
the bigger the institution, the more the less agile it is in terms of reacting to to situations such as that. And of course, pulling MI, as I well know, takes a long time. You know, there are lots of different people that you need to kind of pull together to pull the information together, and then it needs to be critiqued and checked and balanced. And and yes, it does take time. But I'm with you. I think the approach now to MI is shifting. I think you're probably going to start to see more periodic review of MI, whether it's in a more real-time environment, I doubt. I just don't think people have the bandwidth to do that. But I do think you're right that we're... The pace of the world around us in terms of technology and digitalization um, and also the, the duty as well requires firms to really jump on a fate. You know, if 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 there's something that's going wrong, your MI is ultimately your early warning system. It points to an area that isn't necessarily working and could well detriment a client or a group of clients. So you need to go in there and remedy that as quickly as possible. And like you said, 45 days down the line. It's going to be quite a costly for you, for your customer, for groups of customers. It's mm-hmm. just not great. So there has to be better detection and action happening outside of the MI. But then also that needs to be reported back in through the MI packs that obviously this is something that's happened and, and how it was it was dealt with. I also find quite interesting is that the perspective of MI now has changed. So whereby we were looking more about the journey and and setting ourselves signposts along the journey of TCF, the consumer duty is looking at those outcomes. So you're shifting your perspective at the end point rather than the journey to get there. Of course, the journey to get there is still important, but that end point now is, is there's huge emphasis on that. And that's where suddenly you've got to turn your focus into a different direction. So the MI needs to be redesigned to take that into account. And I thought that's been quite an interesting exercise. And a lot of firms have really struggled to do that because it is a different look through. And then, of course, the reaction to, to MI now is, is about trend analysis. So it's not just looking backwards. It's not looking at what's happened in the past, but it's being able to predict what's going, hap- what's going to happen in the future whether that is influenced by external external events, budgets or, or what have you, because, of course, you know, people are now more prone to, to characteristics of vulnerability. As the FCA said, half of us are going to have it at some point in our life. We've got to be far more aware of the sensitivities of, of our customer base and being able to predict what is going to impact them down the line is also very useful. So having that as in looking into a crystal ball into the future, knowing what's coming up is also really helpful in terms of your MI and design. Predictive analytics, spot on, Zoe. Spot on. Yes, it's, yeah, it's where we're where where I'm moving to with this client. Not quite on the predictive. That's so. That's my final phase. My first phase is: what do you need to know on a daily basis? Step two: do you collect that in a meaningful way that I can I can program into a into a report? into a into data a data visual report and then step three is right let's make this predictive yes let's not be reactive let's be proactive you can see the trends what will the trends tell you absolutely where that would be amazing is like in the operation space most all of our clients will have operations teams how many people do i need what are my seasonal fluctuations yeah absolutely and yeah seasonal fluctuations as well who thinks of that it's it's 
it is I think this has been quite an interesting exercise seeing people really thinking outside the box now in terms of what what the what their old MI looked like versus what it's looking like now I'm hoping that there'll be two very different sheets of paper well you certainly hope so wouldn't you so that that's a nice segue actually to talk about staying compliant how do you stay how do you align with industry standards and challenges faced in maintaining compliance and I think you know that that talks to the job I was responsible for. You know how how do you first of all keep track of all the changing regulations, and um, and there are huge numbers. So you know me, I I live life through a tracker and Excel, and I love tracking stuff. And I can tell you, if I look back over all the individual items of reg change that have happened in the last five years, so uh, Lee McCrellan celebrating five years of being in business this year. And if I look back on that over the last five years since we've been in business, in my Excel of reg changes, there are 10,000 rows of individual items of regulatory change that have come in. How on earth is anybody supposed to stay on top of that? Because you have to go through, in my view, in my old sort of banking global view, is you have to go through every single line item to determine does that apply to me or does it not? At whatever size firm you are. And yes, you can go through some of those very quickly, but you can't go through them that quickly. And I think that is a massive challenge. And, and then you overlay that. That's just from PRA and FCA and a bit of Europe. If you overlay that with Information Commissioner and JMLSG and FATF and IOSCO and everybody else, I mean, uh, that it's it's ridiculous the volume that comes through and it's not surprising that people really really struggle with that uh and i just think you know that how do you ensure your data management practices align with industry standards you know it's a great question damon but i think it's incredibly difficult to do that if you're a large firm you can appoint somebody and say that's your job if you're a small firm and compliance is being done on the side of your desk, which probably most listeners' compliance firms are, then you're in a really tough spot and it's very, very hard to do that. And really, your only answer is to outsource it to somebody else because how else can you do it? Do you really want to do that yourself? I don't know. Most people would just say, get, get someone else to do that and you tell me when I need to do something because I just can't see how else she can do it. I don't know if either Toya or Rupi have got other ideas. I agree. And and we've also got to remember, we operate in such an interconnected global environment that it's not just the UK regs and, and laws that we need to think about. It's 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 across the world. And, and that's when it starts to get very complicated. I think for those small firms, like you say, I think consultants or even those trade associations as well, where you've got groups of individuals of similar size organisations coming together to throw ideas around the table. But it is an, an, you know, an environment where you can be open and honest about, you know, your own sort of, I suppose, areas that, that you might not be doing particularly well with, or there might be areas of, of high risk that you want to sort of iron out that's when it gets quite interesting. So in joining those discussions can really help. But like you say, pull people in to support you to along that journey. Because it is it is tricky. There's a lot of movement. I mean, the good news, obviously, is the FCA is trying to move away from more prescriptive regulation. But at the same time, there's there's still a lot to, to get through. So yeah, it, it, that's great. 
but I think we're not quite there yet in terms of sort of simplifying the the landscape. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that point, Zoe. You know, embrace, don't ignore new tech. It's always kind of surprising to me how many firms run the other way. Yeah, yeah, de- very, very much so. I've I've spoken to a few clients who are extremely skeptical about aspects of AI. So your kind of ChatGPT type um, AI tools because of the lack of accuracy, the factual inaccuracy of them actually, and their their concerns about what are they, what are they giving people, and the fact that you don't own. So the moment you put anything in there, like you do at the moment, if you use, I don't know, Gmail or anything like that, Hotmail, you don't own the data. It's as good as writing a postcard. It's shared with everybody and anybody who wants to pick the postcard up. Postcard up. So I think the same with, you know, some of those Bard and ChatGPT and those tools, you've got to be super careful about what you put in them. So I know quite a few very large firms who just ban them. Like like Google Translate, they've, those a lot of firms have banned those for years because you could be putting corporately sensitive information into there, uh, especially if you're trying to translate something. So I think you've got to be very thoughtful. And I think, Rupi, that's a great shout about, you know, what is it? Let's define it. What do we mean by AI? Because that gives you a fighting chance of them being able to say, what's acceptable and what's an acceptable use and what's not an acceptable use for it. What I've also seen in terms of emerging technologies, we know the FCA is or is required to be opening its distributed ledger technology sandbox next month, December. So we're recording this in November and that's required to be opened next month by the year uh, end of 2023. I think that's going to prove very interesting next year in terms of who goes through that sandbox and how they're using those distributed ledger technologies, what they want to use them for, and what sort of innovations are coming on the back of it. And I think that there is a, um, I do get the sense there's a queue forming for that, and people are keen to do it, because there are massive gains to be had from using those sorts of technologies in traditional finance as much as in the digital asset space as well. So there's huge benefits from that type of technology, huge advances, moving away from T plus settlement to immediate settlement is a huge benefit in a lot of cases. I know there are circumstances where actually a pause is very beneficial, particularly for operations and settlement systems to catch up, but also for the actual counterparties to catch up on some of their transactions. So sometimes it's beneficial and also time zones mean you need to have some pause. But I think those technologies are very exciting. And I think that will be transformative for our sector when they come in, whatever they're used for. Crypto gets a very bad reputation, I think up to a point it's deserved. But if you look at digital assets and what's going on in that space more broadly and ignore the cryptocurrencies, I think there's some very exciting stuff happening there and very transformative. I agree. And I think also for individuals and firms need to start embracing these new tech new and emerging technologies and we've got to work alongside of them because they're not going away it's going to get very noisy in this space and I think the firms who incorporate it embed it into their businesses and so obviously as, as much as they possibly can as budgets will afford will will fare well but I think AI is certainly going to be a, an er- area that's going to grow exponentially so it's quite exciting at the same time though 
Okay, as we look to wrap this one up, what are some data management best practices you've seen lately, Kath? Maybe some insights from the FCA? So I'd say in, in data management best practices, timely, relevant, accurate data. Accuracy of data, FCA is beating into us with a iron rod, it feels like, I think at the moment, and PRA too, and many other regulators. They get deeply embarrassed when they're sharing data with other regulators around the world, which most regulators are doing now, when they're sharing data from their regulated community that's not correct. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing internally. You know, you share something with your your board or your manager or whoever, and it's really embarrassing when you do that and it's out of date or inaccurate. So, of course, we all want to make sure it's accurate. The challenge is in how do you make sure it is accurate in the first place? Uh, and you end up going back to the old adage of garbage in, garbage out. How do you make sure? And to me, it all comes down to supervision. Effective line management, effective QA, got to happen in the first line. Don't rely on your compliance or internal audit to spot that for you. You've got to have the QA. And if that means moving from four eye checks to six eye checks, and there are plenty of people who are doing that, to make sure it is absolutely accurate. And maybe there's a role in, in AI there for providing some analytics around it. As we bring this episode to a close, I'd like to ask you to please drop us some feedback. Let us know what's working. Let us know where we can improve. And also, give us an idea of some topics that you'd like to hear more about. Definitely check out the website for more content at www.lehmancrellin.co.uk. And don't forget to join us next time on the Lehman Crellin Podcast. Until then, thanks for your time. Goodbye.